From KUNR Reno Public Radio, this is Priced Out. A podcast about affordable housing. I'm Joey Lovato. And I'm Jacob Solis, stepping in for Bree this week. And Jacob, we actually have a story from you as well. That's right. I went out and talked to some people about a project downtown to build low-rent dorms. But before we get to that, we're going to hear from reporter Paul Boger on daily motels and how they impact housing in Reno. There are more than 65 motels just in Reno. Some people link them to the city's unique past as a gaming mecca. Other people see them as hotbeds of criminal activity that bring down the surrounding area's economic potential. Paul is going to tell us how the motels are more and more becoming a key player in the Northern Nevada housing crunch. The curtains are drawn and it's dark as Greg H. shows me around his home. And as you can see, I have a new wave oven and I have my own microwave. He has a small computing station near the front door next to his full-sized refrigerator. A makeshift kitchen stationed along and, the wall. Uh, that little chest I have there, uh, the armoire, that's uh, something that I loved. and I It's cramped, to say the least. What would you say square footage is? Here, I can tell you real quick. Very easy to do. It's not complicated. He busts out a small tape measure and holds it against the wall. If I don't have it, I don't, you don't need it. So 150 plus going into the bathroom, yeah, that makes it really, it's 200 square feet is what we're looking at maximum, so. And it's not even that, probably 178 or something. Greg has lived in this motel for more than three years. Before that, he was homeless. KUNR has chosen not to release Greg's full name or the name of the motel because he could be evicted if he angers the motel's management. They rule with an iron fist here and they make sure that these people uh, you know, they know that they can't really afford to move. So if they bitch or complain, you know, they basically tell them, too bad, you don't like it, get the hell out, sort of thing. So which is, which is their way of, uh, because they know these people are in a tough situation. Despite that concern, Greg says the conditions in the motel are deplorable. Crime is rampant, the motel management routinely extorts residents who have nowhere else to go, and the roach and bed bug infestations have posed serious health threats in the past. There was a couple that lived out in the back there in their 80s. Anyways, they became infested with bed bugs. For four months, they went to the office and complained and said, you know, we need help, you know, we got infestation. So eventually these people started living in their car. This is in the middle of the winter. According to estimates by the Reno Area Alliance for the Homeless, there were roughly 6,000 people living in motels in Reno last year. However, that number has declined over the past 12 months, not because more residents have found affordable housing options, but because there are fewer beds. Last May, we saw the Blightbuster initiative in full effect, beginning with several demolitions of properties that were dilapidated and uninhabitable on West 4th Street. The Carriage Inn, Stardust Lodge, and other blighted properties have been taken down, bringing new life to the area. That was Reno Mayor Hillary Sheevey speaking to a crowd during the 2018 State of the City address last January. During her speech, Sheevey touted the decision to knock down motels as part of an effort to boost economic development through a massive revitalization plan for downtown Reno and 4th Street. It's an effort that some, like Action's community social justice organizer, Aria Overly, call misguided. And I think that just shows some, some serious problems with priorities. It's not always the city's fault, but they, they have a lot of work to do in um, determining their priorities, and, and I think they very much want to see motels shut down. And I wouldn't disagree. I want to see motels shut down, too, but I want alternatives to exist first. But Reno's Ward 2 City Councilwoman Naomi Dewar 
says the demolition of motels has not been entirely at the municipality's discretion. There are about 100 motels um, in our Reno region, and about 65 of them are downtown. And the city council decided that two of them were in such bad shape. These particular motels um, had you know, drug paraphernalia there. People had broken into them repeatedly. The, deci- the city decided we had to do something about it. Um, it was controversial, uh, but we did it, and we, did, we made the best of it. But in the vein to improve safety and health in the motels, the city recently started working with motel owners through the Motel Improvement Team, a division within the Reno Police Department. Sergeant Wade Clark is a spokesperson for the department. This is the health code standard, looking at crime prevention through environmental design. You have your washed windows, clean picked up parking lot, the color of the doors and all the colors match. So we really focus on trimming up the trees, making it kind of the broken window effect, making it very presentable is going to be less inviting to those people that want to do a lot of criminal activity. But all of that will likely take time. And for folks like Greg H. who live in the motels, time is of the essence. Just listen to your uh, your motel piece. It was really a really strong piece here. But I had a couple questions to kind of follow up with it. Um, what what role did the motels play in the this affordable housing situation that we've got going on? Well, as I think you heard from the story, it's a growing one. You know, for years I think people in Reno and Northern Nevada specifically saw the motels as just this last bastion where it was a place where either homeless people can go for a week or two to kind of to get a, you know, a warm bed and a a roof over the heads for a little while, or it was a place where drug dealers or or prostitutes lived. And I think there is still some of that, but really more and more, it's where the area's probably most vulnerable community lives. The, really the people who are one step away from being homeless or those who are elderly, the are seniors and people who are, who are very sick and, and really need some place to go um, and can't afford to live anywhere else. I think that's where you're seeing more people move into the weekly motels versus living in somewhere like a senior care facility or a, a, a small apartment where that would be con- you know, considered affordable a few years ago might be out of their reach now. Um, so a lot of these, a lot of these motels have kind of been getting torn down by the city. Um, why, why has the city been doing that? There's this ongoing commitment to really, you know, move Reno in a different direction. Part of that is this big revitalization campaign that's been going on. And so city leaders see some of these hotels, and rightfully so, as blight. You know, they see them as, this is land that can be used for something else, but here we have a dilapidated hotel. In some cases, that's been abandoned. Or in some cases, that's been, you know, just a, a drug den, for lack of a better word. So they, you know, the city takes it over, they knock it down. You know, we're seeing, not seeing that quite as much or quite as frequently as we were a few months ago. But it, it's really continuing, especially with the, with the revitalization efforts we see on 4th Street and, and downtown as well. Okay. All right. Well, I think that's it then, Paul. Great. Thank you so much. Now we're going to hear a story from Jacob Solis about plans to build dorm-style living in Reno. 
a possible solution to getting very low-income people into more permanent living situations. Right off Sage Street, tucked in between railroad tracks and the highway, is a long strip of land. It's rocky and industrial. Bushes grow here and there, and there are a few signs that say warning, petroleum pipeline. But in the next couple of months, Jim Frommer says that's all going to change. There'll be two 50-unit buildings right here, and then about 20 yards in front of us will probably be the communal area, a pet area. We're going to have a fire pit, uh, kind of a communal space. Frommer chairs the Community Foundation of Western Nevada. Working with the city and a number of local groups and companies, the foundation is spearheading a unique kind of affordable housing project, dorms. By August, they will be placing prefabricated units shipped in from Wyoming on land formerly owned by the city. This will not be like living in, uh, I'll just pick on Southwest Reno, this will be $400 a month, a place though that is safe, warm and dry and, and you have to take it for what it is. The dorms will be small, but are meant to provide the working poor an alternative to homelessness or spiking downtown rents. Nobody should uh, be living on the streets, nobody should be sleeping on the rivers, nobody should be sleeping in alleyways, I don't care who you are, um, you need a place to call home. That was Pat Cashel, Regional Director of Volunteers of America, the organization managing the project. Cashel says he doesn't expect the $400 rent to go up anytime soon, a rarity in a state with no rent controls. Bundled with that rent will be a number of planned services meant to help people move into permanent housing. And if we can move these people through, get them on their feet, get them the counseling they need, get them to, to the doctors and uh, get them uh, to see housing specialists, employment specialists, uh, and get them back on their feet, get them a bank account, then that's a success. These dorms will serve largely one group, the extremely low income. These are people who are employed but making minimum wage or working multiple part-time jobs. According to the National Low Income Housing Coalition, there are just 15 affordable units for every 100 extremely low-income renters in Nevada. It's the worst ratio in the nation. The next worst state, California, has 22 per 100. J.D. Klippenstein is the executive director of Action, a local social justice advocacy group. He says many low-income or fixed-income renters are forced to turn to weekly motels, which don't require a deposit. But even there, rents are still pricey, sometimes near $1,000 a month. You kind of get trapped. You're never able to build up or save up enough to get out. And uh, even though there's a, a lot of the folks we work with, a lot of the people, um, part of their story is like, I know one day I'll, I'm going to get myself out of here. But many of them have been there for years. Klippenstein says renters will often double up with each other, sometimes spending all of their paychecks up front, leaving no discretionary income for the rest of the month. And their living conditions range from perfectly fine to unhealthy to sometimes even dangerous. But getting out is easier said than done. The waiting lists on affordable housing or subsidized housing in our community are, you know, off the charts. So even if someone were to get on a list to try to get into uh, affordable housing that's subsidized, that's standardized, the, they'd have to wait quite some time. But not everyone thinks the dorm project is the right fix. Speaking at a KUNR affordable housing forum, Eric Novak of the Praxis Consulting Group criticized similar proposals to the dorms, including tiny homes and a project that would use shipping containers as housing. I see projects like this, and it's almost like giving up, that it's not housing. It's an emergency situation, uh, it's, it's, and some of these are barely humane. Klippenstein says he can see the reservations some people might have about a shared living space, but he also says desperate times call for creative solutions. I think it, they would act as a good safety net. 
I, I should preface that with we have almost no safety net as is, so anything is better than nothing. He says the dorms are a good first step, though more will need to be done at the regional level if Reno expects the housing crisis to end anytime soon. For now, the project appears to have the momentum it needs to get off the ground. All right, great. So we've just heard your story, Jacob, and you're here with me now. That's right, I am. <laughs> How's it going? Going well. Good. And you've got you've got some quotes here from people that were talking to you about it that didn't quite make it into your story. Can you explain those to me a little bit? That's right. So I talked to J.D. Klippenstein from the uh, from Action, just a community organizing group here. So in this first clip here, he's just explaining the degree to which uh, these solutions to affordable housing exist in like regional policy, what the the county commission and the city council can do. We have to have our own skin in the game financially. You know, as a community, we have to be thinking about that. And I'm a big proponent of public revenue being put in towards that because research consistently shows that the lowest income housing, like the folks we're talking about, the market does not build that housing. And incentives to try to get market to build that housing work to some extent, but not to the scale that we need unless we're willing to invest public revenue into that. So the public funds thing is a tricky thing to square because, I mean, where's that money going to come from? We've established already that the city itself doesn't have the money to start up some project like this. It didn't have the money to build a homeless shelter, let alone some other kind of affordable housing. Okay, and you've got this other bite too here. What was that one about? So this one's from Klippenstein too, and and this is just talking about how uh, this isn't a unique situation and there are not necessarily unique solutions. We're not the first community to have a housing crisis and we won't be the last And so through a lot of research, we have found there's a whole host of regional policies that need to kind of be the tip of the spear when you're addressing a housing crisis at a regional level. Well, thanks for talking with me, Jacob, and thank you listeners for listening to this episode of Priced Out. If you'd like to learn more about the series, go to KUNR.org, where there are pictures, videos, and other great stories for you to check out. The music in today's episode was by Freedom Trail Studio and Puddle of Infinity. The original theme song is by People With Bodies, a local band here in Reno. Our editor, Michelle Billman, is a nice summer breeze, and our digital producer, Michelle Matus, is the last cookie in the cookie jar. Today's stories were reported by Paul Boger and me. Make sure you rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen. I'm Jacob Solis. And I'm Joey Lovato. Thank you for listening. Thank you.